Hey guys, welcome back to Four Eyes, the podcast series that gives you a clear view into the optometry world across Canada and the U.S. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. I'm Dr. Deepan Carr. Hi, I'm Dr. Bravinder Rindava. And I'm Dr. Alex Kuhn. We decided it was finally time to sit down with some financial wizards to learn how to handle our income as new grad ODs. So we're really excited to share this episode with all of you as we bring on Dr. Aaron Neufeld from the very famous resource ODs on Finance that is used by many American ODs who want to learn how to gain financial freedom. We also wanted this episode to be catered for Canadian ODs as well, so we've invited Gurthej Varn, a financial planner from BC, who became the youngest ever investment specialist in TD Canada Trust history and now works as an independent financial planner for healthcare professionals in order to achieve their financial goals. So make sure to have a notepad nearby to write down some of the really important points mentioned in our panel discussion, and we really hope you all enjoyed this episode. Thank you to both of you so much for coming onto this podcast, and um, we're going to kind of do like a panel-style interview. So we wanted to ask questions as to how new grad optometrists should handle their present and future finances in Canada and the U.S., And we know that financial advice can't really cater to everyone's needs, but our aim today is just to ask some general questions that most new grad optometrists have, and hopefully the answers can provide some guidance to understanding their financial goals and aid with decision-making. We're going to be asking both of you the same questions, so feel free to answer (laughs) any way you'd like. And um, yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? We can start with Gurthage. Um, sure. Um, as you said, my name is Kritej. Um I am born and raised in BC. Um, I studied UBC, I studied at UBC. I studied economics there. Um, but actually, prior to that, I spent some time in Ontario uh, at the University of Windsor. Um, spent about a year there because I was an avid soccer player um, and I played on the team. And then after about a year, I had uh, that moment of, am I going to go pro? Um, <laughs> and if I am... <laughs> what are the odds that I'll be making as much as I want to and career projections. And so I did all that, um, sort of gave up on my dream of playing soccer, um, came to UBC, spent some time figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, and I bounced around from a few different areas. I, I actually did door-to-door sales. I ran an e-commerce business and then I got a job at the bank. Um, and the rest was sort of history. Uh, I fell in love with finance, worked my way from being a teller all the way up to an investment specialist and a financial planner. And then I decided to start my own practice. And so that's what I do now. Awesome. And then we have Dr. Aaron Neufeld from ODs on finance with us too. So Dr. Neufeld, please introduce yourself to everyone as well. Yeah. Yeah. My name is Aaron Neufeld. Uh, I graduated from Southern College of Optometry out in Memphis, Tennessee back in 2015. I'm originally from California. So I moved back to the Bay area, California and, uh, Bought a practice in 2016. Uh, I've been in the private practice route ever since. And in 2018, started Odies on Finance with uh, my co-founder, Dat Bowie. And basically, it's just an online forum and an online website, a community that's engaged at helping optometrists with everything related to finance, providing resources and education. So that's what we do. Yeah, and we love that resource. I think um, this was this episode was originally Rav's idea um, because, you know, 
the ODs on finance platform mm-hmm. provides so much information for all of us new grads and even seasoned optometrists on just what to do with their career goals financially. Um, and so we had an idea to talk with someone from ODs on finance, but then sometimes the questions came up like, well, we live in Canada. So when we're talking about like student loans and government loans and bank loans and things like that, sometimes it might not apply to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're really happy to have you here as well as Girth Edge so that now we can finally get these, these questions answered that apply to everyone across North America. Um, and I guess we'll get it started with our first question. And feel free to decide who wants to go first. Um, you don't have to fight over it. Um, so, you know, we just graduated from optometry school. And so now it's time for us to move and get a job. So what are some general financial goals that we should be planning for or even saving for right now? Yeah, I guess one of the first things you want to do is definitely want to start by having your financial goals just set in place. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can start to go to towards when you graduate. First thing is obviously you're going to have student loans or most individuals do. And additionally, saving money, investing, retirement, that's something that you need to think about right away as well. There's just all these different things. So how do you, how do you start out? Well, the first thing, definitely want to have a budget. You want to know where your money is going. You want to know where your assets are being allocated to. So that's the first step is just figuring that all out, seeing what percentage are you going to pay towards loans, what percentage are you going to invest, and then what percentage are you going to use to live on. And that, that's the big question is, is what percentage is for each of those? And that's catered to each individual. There are unique circumstances, whether you have a family, whether you don't, whether you want to buy a house or all these different things, they all play into factor. But one of the key things that we always preach at always on finance is getting rid of that student loan debt. I mean, that's a guaranteed return right there. That's six or 7% or whatever you end up with afterwards of interest. That's always going to be there. So that's one of the things that you definitely want to hit on the head and, Investing too, because time in the market, that's the key in investing and in growing in your, your money. So those are the two big things. But yeah, once again, catered differently for every person. So, Whether you're in Canada or the States, um, the principles of financial planning stay relatively the same. There might be differences in tax changes or sorry, tax laws and different investment accounts and interest rates, but the, the principles seem to be the same across the board. So really with when I meet a young optometrist, I usually tell them the first paycheck, honestly, do whatever you want with it. Most optometrists end up spending it on themselves. And I think you guys deserve it. So go ahead and blow that first paycheck. Shopping's free. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I know you guys didn't buy clothes and all those things while you're going through school and the budget was very lean. So go ahead and I actually advocate for blowing maybe your first paycheck. But then as soon as you get over that little spending spree, um, similar to Aaron's point, I think the first thing you got to do is actually set up your financial goals. Um, where do you want to be at financially a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, even if you have a partner, this is a great time to actually have that conversation with them once you're done school. Um, and then once you sort of settled on your goals, of course, you want to have a budget set up. Um, after that, I think the first thing you got to do is get that emergency fund in place just so that you have that buffer. Um, if you miss a paycheck or if pays late, or if you have a harder time finding a job. Um, And after that, it's really just about getting the right disability insurance, paying off your debt as fast as possible, um, potentially buying a home once you're debt free, um, and of course, investing sort of for the long term. Um, I don't always say retirement, I just say long term. 
um, because retirement is at very different ages for many people and it means lots of different things. So you really just want to be putting your money aside for an investment for a very long term, whether it's 10, 20, 30 years out from now. Yeah. After graduation, I think emergency fund was something that never crossed my mind yeah. until until I um, started living with my significant other and he was already saving up for an emergency fund, especially in California. If there's any, you know, earthquake disasters, he actually Absolutely. was saving up for a natural disaster emergency fund. And that's something that just never crossed my mind. So I think that's, that's yeah, really important to highlight there. Absolutely. And emergencies sometimes aren't as big as an earthquake. They might just be, I got to get my uh, brakes replaced on my car or my washer is leaking and now there's water damage on my floor. They can be tiny things, but they can really throw a wrench in your plans if you don't actually budget for them and save for those emergencies, whether they're big or small. Yeah. Uh, I watch uh, this uh, YouTube, uh, Dave Ramsey. So I watch a lot of videos of him and then he's always saying the first thing is you always want to have an emergency fund, at least three months of or 10 grand or some sort of thing, three months of rent. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's extremely important. What uh, amount of time would you guys say for the emergency fund? Would three months, six months? Actually, on Odie's on finance, we always give a buffer of three to six months. That's kind of our our go-to, but it depends on how risk adverse you are, you know, some individuals that are a little more risk adverse want to have that six month buffer. Some people just have one out of three. So, but anywhere in that range. Yeah. yeah I, I second that three to six is sort of the starting point and depending on your yeah, risk tolerance, you might want to go longer, but I usually don't recommend anything under three months at least. And that's mm-hmm. become even more evident with COVID around. So everyone saw yeah. what it's like to not have a paycheck. Um, and so, yeah, that I'd say three months at the very least. And what are my retirement saving options? Or long-term, <laughs> long-term financial goal saving yeah. options. Um, I'll let Aaron start again. We'll just keep going. Yeah, okay. sure. yeah go for it. Yeah, yeah, retirement, that's a, that's a big question. And definitely a lot of different avenues you can go down. You know, the avenue that we recommend to the most amount of optometrists that are, you know, just want to kind of casually get into it and not think about it too much, not spend too much time on it is basically low cost index funds and ones that mimic the S&P 500 or ones that mimic the stock market. And really it's pretty easy to get into those. You just sign up with a brokerage like Vanguard or Fidelity or any of those big ones. And they kind of walk you through the whole process. So they have, they even have great customer service where you can just kind of jump in and start doing that. And there's a few different vehicles. uh, And I'm not sure how this is different in Canada. I haven't done that research, Mm. but the, the Roth IRA here is a huge thing that we've, advocate for. Also, if you have a 401k plan at your work, definitely want to fill that to the match. And yeah, other than that, also investing in a taxable account. So that's something separate after you've already filled the Roth IRA and the 401k. Those are other avenues as well. And, you know, we could spend hours on this talking about different equities, different individual stocks or bonds and different things. But the We've always found that the S&P 500, the index funds, they tend to have the best return. And a lot of these, you know, professional stockbrokers, they can't beat these index funds. That's what the science has shown. So that's kind of our go-to. And I'm sure Gertrude has a lot to add to that. Yeah, um, I I would say that there's, in terms of your retirement savings options, there's really two things you got to look at. Um, There's the account that you're going to hold the investments in. And then there's the actual investments that you're going to invest in. Um, I usually give the analogy of the account as like a container and the investments is the actual food. 
and the investments go within the account. So the food goes within the container. Um, and when it comes to the investments, I'm sort of in the same boat as Aaron. Invest uh, Index funds and ETFs are probably your best bet, especially when you're starting out. Um, I know a lot of people are very into picking their own individual stocks. Um, and even as a financial planner myself, I very seldomly pick my own stocks. Um, it's because most of the portfolio managers in the world who are extremely educated, spend all day researching uh, stocks, don't tend to beat the index that they're actually trying to outperform on a consistent basis. And so index funds and ETFs are probably your best bet. They're nice and cheap um, or cost effective, and they give you solid, consistent returns that are sort of in line with whatever the market does. Um, and that's the investment side of things. But on the account side of things, you're going to want to hold your investments either in the TFSA or the RRSP. Um, they're very similar to the, I believe, Roth IRA and 401k down in the States. Your TFSA, essentially, when you invest money or you put money into the TFSA and you buy an investment, if there is a dividend, interest, or any capital gains on your investment, if your investments increase in value, you do not have to pay tax when you sell that investment and pull that money out. Um, so it's a great way to save money um, when you're investing on the tax side of things. RSP is a little bit more complicated um, and it's really designated for retirement. But the best way I explain it is it's an account to procrastinate your taxes to a later date. When you put money into your RRSP, essentially what happens is the government is going to give you a tax deduction. So they're going to re reduce how much income tax you have to pay. Um, and then the great thing is while they're, while your money's in the RSP, it works like a TFSA. You don't have to pay any tax on your gains, your interest, dividends that you make on your investments. The only catch is when you pull money out of your RSP, that's when you have to pay the tax on it. So it gets added to your income. So it, it's really just a way to procrastinate your income taxes from a high income tax bracket down to a low income tax bracket, which is most often the case from working life to retirement life. Okay. So in your opinion, do you feel like we should first completely pay off our like student loans and then worry about putting money into the RSP or the TFSA? I personally think so. Um, okay. If you are going to allocate some cash to investing, yeah. it's really going to depend on how much income you earn, whether you do the gotcha. TFSA or the RSP, as well as what your goals are. If you're looking to buy a home short term, an RSP might be a great option because you can take out money tax-free when you buy your first home. Um, but overall, I'm a big advocate for paying off your debt first um, and then really heavily getting into investing. But if you do want to start investing right away, um, maybe allocate a small amount, whether it's $100, $200, 300 400 500 depending on your income, um, into one of those accounts. But the account mm -hmm. you choose is really going to depend on what your short-term goals are. Yeah. Just because I, I know a lot of younger people now that the whole stock market is yeah. down, people are like, this is the time to invest. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young people are looking at investing into the stock market, right? Yeah. And especially Canadians, I know they're putting money into the TFSA. So just putting some money there and just letting it grow. So letting yeah. it grow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think honestly, the best time to invest is all the time. Um, it doesn't really matter what the market cycles are. Yeah. It is every single day of the week is probably the best time to invest. Absolutely. That'll be our slogan for the episode. The best time yeah. to invest is every time. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> of course, when the market is low and we have a correction or a recession, it's a great time to invest because it's mm -hmm. 
more or less, if you're investing in strong companies, it's a sale on their price. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but having said that, it really depends on if your time horizon is very long, let's say 20, 30, mm-hmm. 10 years, even, um, you should be investing early and consistently. Yeah. That's really what it comes down mm-hmm. to. Got it. Okay. Aaron, did you have anything to say about the, when to invest? Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Dollar cost averaging. I mean, is fantastic. That's what we always recommend for just early investors and, and yeah. other than that, yeah, definitely paying off the debt. That's, that's a smart thing to do before jumping into investing. Mm-hmm. When you're early on, when you've got like that 100K or 200K in debt, yeah, just definitely paying it down and trying to get that as small as possible as early as you can. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Rob. We're talking a lot about retirements right now. Um, It's too early, but uh, what is the best way to figure out the amount like I would theoretically will need when I retire? I think if you go by the textbook of most financial planners um, and if you really go letter of the law, most people are going to say you're going to need at least 25 years of um, annual income or or retirement expenses when you decide to retire. But really what that's saying is how long do you expect to live? Um, And they're saying if you retire and you only expect to live 25 years, then you should have 25 years worth of expenses saved up. Um, And then you assume usually a 4% withdrawal rate. Um, But I tend to not go by that number. Um, It's extremely hard to predict what your retirement expenses are going to be, as well as when you're going to retire. There's there's all kinds of things that come up. Uh, It depends on your health, obviously. It depends on the market. Um, It depends on how much money you earn, you and your partner earn, if your children are dependent on you. So there's a lot of things. Um, I really help focus my clients on income-producing assets. Um, So unlike most financial advisors, I am very heavily involved in getting my clients to invest in real estate. Um, And so my goal really is if you can get at least 40 to 50% of what you think you're going to need to live off of coming from real estate, you're in a very good position. Um, The rest of that 60 to 50% that you're going to need to make up outside of the real estate, you can rely on your investment portfolio, you can buy annuities, you can potentially use insurance contracts. So there's lots of different ways to, to budget for retirement, um, but I think the most important thing is to try to guarantee yourself an income that is consistent. Um, and I have found the best and safest, and I guess easiest to understand way is really buying income producing real estate. Yeah, as I say, like you need to have some sort of like passive income as well. Yes. So a couple of sources of passive income and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Other than that, uh, I would say also commercial real estate is uh, another avenue that a lot of optometrists have used and Mm -hmm. avenue that I have used and that I like to kind of put forward because uh, especially if you own your own practice and you're owning the building that's in your practice, Mm. your practice is in, that's going to help you a lot tax wise. I'm sure it's somewhere in Canada in terms of write offs and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is rather than paying a rent, you know, you're paying, you're building equity in that building. And then when you decide it's time to sell that practice off and you sell it off, you still have that rental income from that building. So you're getting the appreciation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're also getting that steady cash flow every month. So that's another thing um, to look at in terms of real estate. But yeah, I agree with everything. 25X rule, that's what we always talk about. But once yeah. again, there's a lot of variables that were mentioned. Yeah. Also, inflation is a big thing too. We don't know how much less the dollar is going to be worth when we break 30, 40 yeah. years so that yeah. is a factor as well. So. 
Yeah. So always overestimate how much you need to save just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just kind of adding on to that, um, even though this is going to be catered differently for everyone, but what would be the ideal or most common percentage that I should be saving from my monthly income into some sort of a long-term savings or retirement savings? What do you typically recommend for clients and for optometrists? Once again, yeah, this one is highly dependent on the individual and their individual circumstances. But I'd say if it's possible, swing a minimum of 20% into Mm -hmm. some sort of investing portfolio. Just, Just have that amount. And then just try to make it a rule. What I recommend doing, and it's uh, something that the profit first strategy uses, and there's a lot of other different names for it, but essentially you just allocate that money right when you get your paycheck. So that goes straight into your investment account or straight into your retirement account. Because what happens if you see that money psychologically, it's, hey, why don't I spend it? Why don't I use it here or all investment? <laughs> We're going to run away with it. You won't find yeah, us. <laughs> exactly. But if you already have a plan, and once again, 20% or just whatever you you can manage with, you know, whatever life throws at you, then that's just going to, it's just good to be consistent and just to have that solid basis because that's going to set up good, I guess we could have for the rest of your life. Because I think that's the hardest, like as you're a new grad, like when you're in your whole life, you've been a student and you never really had good income. You're always in debt. Mm -hmm. And finally, when you start making money, you want to spend it. The thought of putting that money away and not spending it and never seeing it for like 60 years yeah (laughs) i was i was just on before this call i was on a call with one of my clients who's a listener of your guys's and yeah we were talking about that exact same thing because she just finished school and i said you know what like i know you want to blow that money um and and go ahead for the first month or so get it out of your system sure you it won't be it won't be a trip around the world, but it'll be enough money to maybe buy yourself some new clothes and things of that mm-hmm. nature. But mm-hmm. the main thing is exactly like Aaron said, you want to have it automated. You want to have it coming yeah. out of your account automatically and not be thinking about it. Because just like Parkinson's law, the time you allocate to a task, the longer that task takes. And the same thing mm-hmm. with your income is if you take off 20 to 30% off your income right away, well, then you're going to be forced to live off of that 70 to 80%. Um, but if you give yourself the full hundred to work with and then focus on saving and investing with your entire income, it's very unlikely that you'll use, that you'll be putting enough aside for retirement and for those Mm -hmm. longer term financial goals that you might have. So sort of back to the point of what the minimum is, I would agree with Aaron, 20% is probably the absolute minimum you should be putting aside. Obviously there's going to be some anomalies in there. Some people might Mm -hmm. be able to put away 50%. Some people might only be able to put away 10%. But I would say the ideal thing to do is to take Mm -hmm. 20% out and try to live on what's left um, and then work your way up from that 20 and hopefully get to a 50 or 60% figure. Yeah, nice. Uh, Kind of like we're talking about taking out ideal percentages out of your income. A lot of, uh, I know in Canada are on um, independent contractors and they have to pay taxes. So what do you, what do you suggest? Do you suggest taking monthly, a certain percentage out monthly or kind of just waiting till the end? So that's a great question because I'm not sure what the uh, climate's like down in the States, but almost all of my clients who are optometrists are subcontractors or they own, they're technically, they, they get paid and then they have to worry about the taxes on their home. Yeah. 
So in terms of how much tax you have to pay, that's going to depend on if you're a sole proprietor or if you're a corporation. Um, and if you're getting paid into an optometric corporation where your tax rate is going to be very different than someone who's getting paid personally or someone who is a sole proprietor. Um, so in terms of a set amount, um, I won't talk about the corporation because there's so many ways around how much tax you actually have to pay in terms of tax deductions. You get to determine when you get taxed. You get to determine what type of income you pay yourself. And from there, what type of tax you have to pay. So that could be an entire podcast in and of itself. But I think in terms of being a sole proprietor is someone who is a, um, someone who gets the income personally, but has to pay the tax on their own. Mm -hmm. I, I think you should be putting aside maybe 20 to 30% for taxes as well. Um, it's really going to depend on your income because, and it's going to depend on what province you live in and what your provincial tax rate is. Um, but I would say around 20 to 30%. And that should be a minimum because the way I look at it is if you mm -hmm. oversave for taxes, well, that's fantastic because now you're not scrambling to pay that bill. Yes. Um, yeah. And so the, the, honestly, the more you can save, the better. But 20 to 30 percent, if you're a sole proprietor, mm -hmm. is probably a good way to look at it. Okay. Okay. What is life insurance and critical illness insurance and what do they actually cover? When is the best time to consider these types of insurance for us? I think um, when it comes to insurance, there is a... It's one of the most complicated financial products out there if you let it be. Um, I think when it comes to which coverage you need first, the order for most young optometrists coming out of school, if this is geared towards them um, and you don't have a spouse uh, and you don't have children, the order is usually disability insurance, like I mentioned before, critical illness and then life insurance. Um, but I'll break each one down. Uh, disability insurance essentially means if you are considered someone with a disability, meaning you cannot do your job as an, as an optometrist, you are actively seeking um, medical professional help, um, and you are not working in any gainful occupation, um, as long as your doctor or family physician says you are disabled or you're suffering from a disability, you will get paid out a monthly paycheck. Um, and how long you get paid out depends on the term you choose. I've seen anything from as low as two years all the way up to 60, uh, up to age 65. Um, and, and disability insurance is probably one of the products that you can customize the most um, out of all of the different types of insurance. So you can get things called riders on them um, to make sure that your benefit increases with inflation. Um, if you're a new grad, you're likely not going to have a very high income yet. So you can opt in for things that let you increase your income in the future, sorry, increase your disability benefit in the future without medical exams. Um, so there's a lot of options on the disability side, but that's most likely the first thing you're going to want to buy because fresh out of school, if you think about how much time and how many years you've invested into your ability to help patients, which in turn is your ability to earn an income, you're going to want to protect that. Um, because if you lose that, you're stuck between a rock and a very hard place. Um, so disability insurance is very much the top priority when you're coming out of school. Um, the next thing in line would maybe be critical illness insurance. That essentially is different than disability. Disability pays you a monthly paycheck. Critical illness is a lump sum amount of money if you're diagnosed with a covered critical illness. And that could be anything like life-threatening cancers, heart attacks, stroke, um, Parkinson's disease, uh, um, multiple sclerosis. Um, and it, there's a 
a wide range of different things that are covered, but it's usually 25 to 30 conditions. Um, and then life insurance is the least important fresh out of school, in my opinion. Um, it, it's life insurance you only really want if you have people who are financially dependent on you, whether that is maybe parents even, um, a potential partner and potential children. So you just want to make sure that if anything ever happens to you and you were to pass away, um, you are able to pay off debt that you have. You are able to give your family some income um, to get by the best they can for a set number of years. Um, and there's, there's two types. There's term, which is temporary, and there's permanent, which is either whole life or universal life. Um, there is a lot of benefits to getting permanent coverage, but I will honestly say for most young optometrists who are fresh out of school, it's unlikely that you need permanent life insurance. It's, it's very expensive. Um, you might not even need it right now. Um, so if you do want to get insurance, I usually recommend temporary life insurance coming up fresh out of school later in life. There, there's lots of things that are going to change. You're likely going to need permanent life insurance if you have an optometric corporation. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, those are sort of an overview of the three. I know that was very long winded. It's right about the same. And on, we use, we had a blog a while back that Dat wrote and basically it's like, this is what your CFP or financial planner should recommend in terms of insurance. And if they don't fire them, anchor yeah. just hit it right on the head. That's exactly what was in the blog. At. He probably so cheated and read the article right. <laughs> I think you're just a good financial planner, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, definitely for disability insurance, I'm not sure if it's different up in Canada, but for here we recommend own occupation and just yeah. definitely read through disability because there's so many different little details that can, and a lot of it's designed to, kind of screw you over if you're not paying attention mm -hmm. to it. So mm -hmm. definitely look at that. We've had individuals that have had disability insurance policies and they had to use them. And all of a sudden they weren't getting a payout for six months. Uh, there's different clauses like that. So just read it. And then if, if it's confusing, you know, find a financial planner that knows what they're doing and have them help you out with that. Uh, critical illness, and we don't really see that as much in the States. I don't know if that's bigger up in Canada, but um, yeah, it's definitely a good payout if, something like that were to happen. Um, and then, yeah, once again, life insurance. Uh, with that, if you have dependents, definitely get it. But if you don't have a dependents, there's really no reason to spend the money for it because it's, yeah, where is it going to go to if, if that circumstance did happen? So, yeah. yeah. You can spend an arm and leg on insurance, um, but I'm big on making sure that it actually fits into your budget. So typically, obviously, everyone is different, but disability insurance is going to cost you anywhere from maybe two to 5% of your annual income. Um, and I would actually recommend spending 5% at least of your annual income on just disability insurance. And the rest of it really is up to you. Um, critical illness, maybe another two or 3%. Um, but I don't think you should go anywhere beyond 10% of your annual income on insurance. Um, and that, and that's if you have potentially a, a spouse and children. Um, if you're someone mm -hmm. who is single you're going to want to get coverage that covers you, which is disability and critical illness. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. One of my mentors always said insurance is the bet you want to lose. So that's... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, that's, that's yep. Actually, it's funny because there, there's certain critical illness policies where you get your money back at the end of it. And, and it works actually very well with optometric corporations. I, I'm sure the rules on, on the tax side are very different um, down in the States, but in 2017, um, if you had a corporation, um, the, the government that we have in place right now essentially made 
permanent life insurance and critical illness insurance, the best friend of a corporation from a tax planning perspective. So let's talk a little bit about student loans now. <laughs> so some of our student loans were provided by banks and in addition to government loans. So what are the typical options for bank loan payments and what factors do I take into account to know which payment option works best for me? That's a good question. I Once again, I'm not sure what applies to Canada, but here there's quite yeah. a different options. Uh, refi is a very popular option here. Uh, a lot of companies in the States, a lot of fintech companies can get you really good rates. I'm not sure. Did you guys have like six to seven percent interest on your rates or that's that's how it was when I was in school. I'm not sure how it is now. But. Well, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in the States, yeah, once again, yeah, refi is definitely a good option. A lot of these places, even with COVID, uh, we're able to get down to, I saw one was 1.99%. That was uh, the rate. So pretty good rates there. And then um, in the States right now with COVID, uh, they've actually reduced the federal rates to 0%. So everything's kind of weird here. This has never happened before. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, other than that, I would say just refi. And then I know there's, in the States, again, there's a lot of um, payment programs. Uh, There's a lot of repayment, uh, income-based repayment programs. We normally don't recommend those. In the States, they're not very good. Uh, The only one is uh, there's a a 10-year public service repayment plan and that's if you're working for Indian Health Services or a VA or mm-hmm. something like that. That's definitely something to explore because income tends to be capped in those situations. But other than that, yeah, definitely refining and just paying the loan off quick. That's kind of what we got going here. So, Yeah. Unlike all the other stuff we've talked about, I think the payments seem the most different uh, from the states because mm-hmm. with us, a refi is what I tell most of my clients is you should only do a refi if, if the terms make sense. Because uh, a lot of the times you don't want to, if you're not having cash flow problems, you don't want to extend the life of your of your loan. Um, that just essentially it, it spreads out, it lowers your payments for now. It spreads out how long you have your loan for, but the worst part is you pay more interest that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you don't have a government funded loan, um, those are pretty straightforward. You're going to get a flat, usually a flat interest rate. Um, should be anything below or around six percent or lower at the at the max if you're with the government. Um, and you're looking at having no interest, sort of accumulating while you're in school. Um, and then you'll get a six month grace period um, until you find a job between when you finish school and when you find a job. Uh, most of the time, people will take that six month grace period. But if you're, and they won't make any payments, but in my opinion, if you're able to, if you have enough income to, you should be taking as much advantage of your grace period as possible because any payments you make are going directly onto the actual balance of your loan. Um, There's no interest being charged. So you're getting the most bang for your buck and you're really paying that loan down as fast as possible. Um, But if you are going through the the bank, um, you really just need to know, is it revolving or is it a loan? So is that a line of credit that I can continually use um, and pay down? Or is it a loan with a flat payment um, that I have to make every week, bi-weekly or monthly? Um, and then you also have to find out if you're going to the bank, how does the interest accumulate? Is it simple interest? Is it compounding? Um, do I have to pay interest while I'm in school? Does that compound while I'm in school? Or do I have an interest-free period while I'm in school, a grace period, and then the interest starts? Um, so that's something you got to know. Um, payback terms. You should ask when I finish school, does this convert into a loan um, and I start making payments or does it stay as a line of credit? And if so, am I able to make large lump sum payments without penalties uh, or pay off the loan entirely without a penalty? 
Um, so I think th th there's lots of questions you need to ask, but it's really just going to come down to what works best for you. Um, oftentimes what works best for your family situation as well, um, because I know it's extremely expensive to go away for school. Um, so you're probably going to have your parents signing on. Um, so I think it's important to have that conversation about what their goals are um, and when they want to be free of the loan. Um, Cause at the end of the day, they might not be paying it, but they're still a guarantor, which means they're on the hook mm -hmm. for the money. Um, so I think it's, it's important to have a conversation about where you're at financially, what your goals are, what terms you're going to get from the bank, um, as well as if you have your parents, what are their goals? Um, and when do they want to mm -hmm. be debt free? And are they willing to contribute? And if they're not, are they, is it going to hinder their ability to get a mortgage or retire or anything like that? So um, lots of considerations. Um, I think this is an important question because I didn't really think of it before, but in your personal opinions, what are the benefits of having a financial planner or a financial advisor to get our life started outside of optometry school? And when should we be starting a search for one? Is it after optometry school or maybe even a little bit earlier? I'll let the financial planner answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little biased. Uh, if you don't yeah. come see me, I don't make money. Um, so <laughs> I, think, I think what I really tell a lot of people is there is a ton of resources out there, whether it is books, whether it is podcasts, whether it is Aaron's website, which I have gone to. It is fantastic, um, mm -hmm. especially if you're in the States. Um, so there's lots of resources out there. But I think the main thing in terms of when do I start searching? As soon as you're earning an income. Um, so during your residency, maybe even during your rotations, um, you should at least start searching. Um, and then once when you're on your search, um, referrals are obviously big. Um, if you have fellow optometrists and they have gone to see a certain advisor, um, check them out. I think the main thing you need to realize is you don't need to use the first advisor that you see. Interview them the same way you're, you're getting interviewed for jobs. Interview this person. Make sure they're qualified. Make sure they're an expert in your field. Do they work with medical and healthcare professionals? Are they, do they have optometrist clients? If so, how many? How long have they been servicing other optometrists? Um, so you want to make sure they understand you um, on a professional level. But I think the other thing of interviewing people is you want to see who do you jive with. If you have a good financial planner, um, you're probably going to have a very long-term relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. Potentially from 30 all the way up to 90 years old. That, that is a long time you're going to, and you don't have to stick with this person, but you should at least make sure outside of being accredited. So if you're in Canada, make sure you go on FP Canada um, and see if they're on the website and if they are accredited. Uh, you want to make sure they have the standard education. Um, are they experienced? Um, who do they work for? Are they a bank? Um, are they someone who is self-employed? Are they a subcontractor? Are they a broker? There, there's lots of different ways of being a financial planner. Um, do they have expertise in your field? But most importantly, who do you get along with the best? Because um, it is a long-term relationship and you are going to be spending a few hours with this person, uh, maybe a month at the start of your career and it tailors off from there. But I think those are my two cents on who do I go and see and when do I start looking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, from our perspective, you know, obviously, if you've been on Odie's on finance, uh, we definitely were big proponents of DIY investing and doing everything yourself. And the main reason for that is just to understand your finances. I we think it's just vitally important for everyone to understand what's happening with their money. But there definitely are situations where a financial planner is a game changer. And that's uh, for individuals that honestly, they just don't care about finances, they have no interest in it, or 
feel overwhelmed with it or have complicated scenarios, that's when, yeah, that's when the financial <laughs> can definitely be it's a benefit. Yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, the big thing, especially in the States, is definitely vet whoever you're going to have as your financial planner. Because we've had a lot of horror stories of, especially, it happens frequently in the States. Uh, a lot of individuals like to prey on doctors because they have, you know, a lot of them have no idea what they're doing with their finances or high income. Yeah. So they're easy targets for different scams, different things like that. So we recommend. Mm-hmm. You know, just looking for the proper, we call them CFPs here, and you know, we've got a couple partners on our website that only work with optometrists, so we've mm-hmm. kind of vetted those. But yeah. yeah, just doing your due diligence, because there's a lot of good ones out there, and it's yeah. unfortunate that some of those bad eggs have kind of, you know, hurt a few of the individuals in our profession. But just doing that due diligence. Yeah. And- Would you mind sharing a horror story with us? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm quite interested to hear one, if, if you have one on the top of your head. Yeah. Oh, most of them stem from, um, and if you've read the website or if you got on White Coat Investor as well, uh, they talk a lot about uh, whole term insurance scams. That's been a common thing that happens in the States. And it tends to happen to individuals right when they're getting out of school. They try to target uh, new grads that are not even working and get them signed up for these plans. And then we look at these plans and I'm like, wait, how much of your money a month is going to this guy's? you know, profit versus your mm-hmm. investment portfolio, mm-hmm. a lot of different things like that. Or, um, and then it's really hard to get out of these plans because they sign up for them. And, you know, there's uh, ease to get out of them and all this complicated combo mm-hmm. jumbo. So, but I think the main thing is just that, you know, that the individual that you're going to work with and make sure mm-hmm. that they're licensed, make sure, you know, check them out on LinkedIn, check out their website and then talk to people that they've worked with. Um, you want someone who's probably asking you more questions about your life than they are about your finances. Um, cause it really comes down to all of your financial goals and what you actually go forth with in terms of products and services are going to entirely stem from what does your life look like? What are your goals like? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the, someone takes that approach, um, that's probably the best way to go. So for our listeners, you know, if they have any more specific questions about their finances, what is the best way for them to connect with you guys? Yeah, for us, uh, Odie's on Finance. We've got the website, odiesonfinance.com. And then if you're an optometrist or student, you're welcome to join the Facebook group. That's where it all started. So uh, just search Odie's on Finance on Facebook. And you have to go through a few questions and then we'll add you onto the group. And then other than that, you can email us, odiesonfinance at gmail.com. We get a lot of member requests for questions. And then if you want to ask them to the forum, we'd be happy to post them anonymously so that your name isn't attached to them. But yeah, you can use all those resources. I really like um, that aspect of ODs on Facebook that it's anonymous. Um, mm. I read a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, it's a good learning because that's that's why we do it too. Is uh, sometimes you learn something that you never thought you would mm-hmm. need to know from those questions. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say for me, um, the best maybe two spots to go are Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, on LinkedIn, it's just Krithage Varn. Um, on Instagram, it's Mr. Money VC. Um, and in terms of getting resources uh, or getting access or, or, or contacting me, um, for now, the best place other than Instagram and LinkedIn is girthagevarn.com slash optometrist. Um, and there's resources there. There's articles. There's webinars um, that I've developed. And, and I'm continually adding to that page. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a great spot for just learning. Um, you don't have to get in touch with me. Um, but that website won't be up by the end of the year since I'm, switch- I'm kind of in a transition period. Um, I'm starting my own firm. It's going to be called White Coat Financial. Um, oh, nice. And so it is Congratulations. for, yeah. thank you. It is strictly for medical and healthcare professionals. 
free promotion right here. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, it's a shameless plug. I, I, that's all I work with right now, medical and healthcare yeah. professionals. And I figured, you know what, I should brand myself and start my mm-hmm. uh, firm with that mission. Um, so mm-hmm. that's good. It's actually really good to know that you're working with all like MDs or like doctors. So mm-hmm. makes us feel yeah. like, you know, us and our financials. <laughs> The point was, if you've had that white coat ceremony, if you historically wear, obviously a lot of you are wearing scrubs or whatever you want, um, but if you think of your profession and you wear a white coat, that is who my clients are. So physicians, optometrists, uh, Mm -hmm. chiropractors, rheumatologists, specialists, anyone who is a doctor, uh, essentially. And then what are some other financial resources that you guys recommend for optometrists, um, like authors or anything? ODs on finance, obviously. <laughs> so, great place to start, especially if you're an optometrist. Um, I do like Dave Ramsey. Um, he's a little yes. bit, he's a little bit eccentric, yeah. but uh, and polarizing. But I think when you are fresh out of school and you do have student loan debt, yeah. you need to have his attitude on debt. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do not believe that all debt is bad debt, especially if it's tied to an investment um, and someone yeah. else is paying for it and it's tax deductible, and or it's to start a actual business like an optometry clinic. Um, I don't think that's bad debt, but Dave Ramsey thinks all debt is bad debt. And so I think mm-hmm. that's the attitude you're probably going to want to have coming right out of high school, or sorry, optometry school. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's there's tons of books and podcasts, but uh, I really like uh, Millionaire Next Door. Um, Tony Robbins, Money, Master of the Game, I think is the title. It is a great book, especially for the States. Um, it, he talks a lot about what we've been talking about today. Um, mm-hmm. that you, um, and I, I like rich dad, poor dad, that's more, it's less practical, but it at least gives you the mindset of, of how to manage your money. So I'm actually sitting next to my finance bookshelf. So I pulled a few books. Oh, off. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely, um, the white coat investor, uh, this is what got us inspired to start nice. on finance okay. a few years back. So if you guys have heard of this, it's, it's a short read. It's about 150 pages, but yeah. kind of just okay. the basics of getting yourself to financial freedom. Uh, Shameless plug here, but of course our book, uh, Optometry Guide to Financial Freedom. Yep. Yeah. And it's essentially, it's a similar type book to White Coat Investor, uh, just more gauge towards optometrists. And since a lot of optometrists in the States, I'm sure it's the same in Canada, become owners. Uh, mm-hmm. It talks a little bit more about that. And then speaking of, if you guys do want to become practice owners in the future, or if you have an audience, the E-Myth series is great for starting a business and especially anything small business. There's a whole series of these books. There's one gauge towards optometrists, and then there's a few that are just general. Mm-hmm. And then for real estate, uh, Bigger Pockets is a great resource. Uh, our other staff member, Julie, who kind of runs the real estate section of our website, she's a big, a big Bigger Pockets fan. And this book is pretty much all you need to know about buying rental properties. So, oh. also yeah, the book on rental book on property, rental investing. property investing. Nice. Yeah, from okay. Bigger Pockets. So. I know Rav is going to buy yeah. all these books right now. Rav is really into her finances. I am. These days. <laughs> well, great. I mean, you guys shared so much information today. So thank you so much again to the both of you for coming on our podcast and sharing all of your financial wisdom. So this was definitely a lot of really, really good information. And I find it really helpful to at least get a direction as to where I'm going to go financially now that my career is starting. So I, yeah, I think we truly appreciate you guys coming on here. (laughs) Thank you guys. This was actually a a lot of fun. Um, And I've been a listener because I just try to learn as much about my clients as possible because I know the finance side. I don't know how optometry, the ins and outs of it work, but it's been great because you guys did a podcast on new grads. 
Um, <laughs> and I use that and I usually send it to anyone who comes in as a new grad of like, hey, listen oh. to this because this is people who have your guys's and, and Harbier Sian's uh, yes. podcasts have been extremely helpful. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So thank you guys for what you're doing and, and having us on. Yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening to Four Eyes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating to give us feedback on how we're doing. You can also check us out on Instagram at Four Eyes Optum for more content. Look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So until then, stay tuned. Mm -hmm.